Hey guys, this week's episode of Sauce of the Scary brought to you by Forge Nutrition. You're rocking the bod, now rock the apparel. Go to ForgeThroughTheFire.com for all your t-shirt needs, but for now, enjoy the show. Right, guys welcome to another episode of saw something scary i'm Derek zoo alongside as always jeff wright and uh jeff i think we may have a difference of opinion on this on this week's episode because i want the last hour and a half of my life back 1974 man what can you expect a lot more than that that's what i can expect holy smokes we'll get into it in a minute uh let's cover some stuff right off the top everyone's favorite segment jeff hates trailers oh i didn't know new trailers were out yeah, yeah man Bring it on. So I've got two for you. I'm done. First is, Netflix is bringing in the Defenders from Marvel. I did see that. Okay, so you saw that trailer drop I didn't today. see the trailer. I oh, saw okay. the news. Okay, yeah. trailer dropped today. And, of course, it's Iron Fist, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, and my personal favorite, Daredevil, um, all in one. It looks really, really good. Have you watched any of those shows? I've watched all of them except for um, Iron Fist. Okay. And I just have a hard time getting into Iron Fist. Yeah. Uh, it's been panned critically. Um, I don't know that my problem is with critical stuff. I just don't find the character interesting. I've never read his books. Um, nothing like that. So I'm like two episodes in. Okay. Have you seen them? I, I, I watch, I've seen Daredevil. I've seen both, uh, both seasons of Daredevil. I've seen the majority of Jessica Jones. Uh, and just the only reason that I don't, I haven't finished it is just because I haven't had the time. Uh, I want to watch Luke Cage, but I haven't. I will before this uh, This comes out in August. Uh, I, I'm like you, man. I have no desire at all to see Iron Fist, even when he's in this trailer. At one point, I was like, really? Like this? That guy? Yeah. At one, and, and even at one point in it, um, they're talking, they're like, the blind defender of Hell's Kitchen. This sassy, uh, the sassy detective. The man who's invincible. And that guy with the glowing like, that's pretty much how it's played out, and so why would you want to watch it? Yeah, well, I don't have an answer for you. Yeah. Uh, he, as a character, he always struck me as a ripoff of Batman, Tony Stark, even Oliver Queen, who's a ripoff of Bruce Wayne. You know, he's just, uh, repeat the formula for the third time, add Eastern mysticism, which is hard to get into. So, no, I didn't see the trailer. We'll probably watch The Defenders. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a, Big fan of that Daredevil performance. Yeah. Yeah, the guy that plays Daredevil is really, really good. I forget his name off the top of my head. The, the choreography in that is really good, too. Yeah. No shaky cam. Uh, looks like a real fight. That's what I think I like probably the best out of all of it. Although the acting is really good. Yeah. And the guy that plays Stick uh, played Jack Crawford in Silence of the Lambs last week. Oh, my gosh. That's right. Yeah. And I know you're a cinephile, so you'll probably appreciate this, too. He also plays uh, the Sandman in Training Day. Oh wow! Yeah, I had no idea. That dude is real good. He um he has done the whole body modification route where you lose a lot of weight for your role and yeah. stuff. Or aging has just been really rough on him. Yeah, good catch. I I had no idea. I've seen a lot of stuff. All right, so all right, so we're gonna watch the Defenders. Okay, so you're in on the Defenders. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So the next one that, that I saw also came out today. Uh, is the Dark Tower. Oh, the Stephen King thing. Yeah. Uh, first off, did you ever read the books? Never read the books. Okay. 
All right. Uh, Elders, Elders Elba, Matthew McConaughey, uh, set in a Stephen King type of world. The trailer looked very promising. I have yet to read the books. Um, it's on my list. And now that I know that this movie is about to come out, it'll, I'll probably expedite it to the top. But does it catch your attention at all? Even just with the names Matthew McConaughey and Edris Elba, does that, does that capture your attention? Well, I said I didn't read the books. Several years ago, they adapted The Dark Tower into a comic book series. Mm-hmm. Had the gunslinger in it. I think I read the first four issues of that. Okay. And it is super weird. Yeah. A lot of different genres kind of mashed up together. Matthew McConaughey sounds like perfect casting for what I know about that series. I'm also intrigued more so to have somebody kind of tell me about it than read it. But apparently it makes reference to basically all of Stephen King's works. And it's sort of this meta take on his whole universe. Okay. I love mythological stuff like that. But I, I still don't know if I'll go watch it. I kind of feel like I just need to I need to know more about the books and whatnot to really enjoy that. I don't know that I want to put the time in to read all that. That's fair. Okay. But I will be eager for you to tell me about it. Yeah. Yeah, I'll definitely read them and let you know what I think about them and then go from there with it. All right, well, that's this week's uh, segment of Jeff Hates Trailers. Hey, not a trailer, but I was going to see if you saw the news from Jordan Peele today. Yes. I think I put something up about it on our Facebook page. Oh, good deal. There is a lot of coordination in our social media presentation here, folks. You're seeing behind the curtain. So if you aren't aware of this, dear listener, Jordan Peele has signed a deal with Universal, which gives them exclusive rights to his next, I guess it'll be a follow-up to Get Out, but his next work after establishing himself with Get Out. What do they call it? First look deal. The uh, Hollywood Reporter article that I saw it from first says he will have approximately five million I'm sorry, he will have approximately five times the budget he had for Get Out. That's fantastic. Well, let me ask you something. Any chance with him that he has Shyamalan syndrome in that working with a limited budget may help sort of produce the greatest creative effort on his part? I don't think so. Not at all. No. But the uh, Key and Peele, when it started, probably wasn't the biggest budget in the world, right? Probably not. I think that Jordan Peele will maximize his time and his money better than Shyamalan ever did. Yeah, I probably shouldn't have. I don't, I don't want the association with Shyamalan. Uh, more just the idea of like, is there such a thing as profitable constraint that you have to work within certain parameters to get your best? I think that some people need it. Mm-hmm. I really do. Um, but I, I don't think you'll, I don't think it'll be a problem. Now, and I hope that that's the case. Now, I could be eating my words two years from now with us going, why in the world did that ever happen? But I don't think that that's going to be the case. I think that, think that Jordan seems to be uh, mature enough and, and smart enough to to know, uh, quote Kenny Rogers, you got no one to hold him when to fold him. And I think that that's what Jordan Peele will do. I would normally agree with you entirely, except some of the um, prospective titles that they're kicking around in this article. One of them is Lady in the Water Part Two. I'll burn everything to the ground. I'm just reading what the black and white print says, but I don't know why you got a bunch race into this. <laughs> I mean, I understand it's about get out, but <laughs> touche. Touche. All right, cool. Well, yeah, uh, congrats on congrats on that, Jordan Peele. Um, also, really cool article we put up today on Twitter about M. Night Shyamalan, about how he's gotten his groove back, according to some people. Uh, some people say that he still has to prove himself to some people, but that's some people's opinions. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think, and I think that is the truth. I mean, I think that if, if Shyamalan has a smaller budget, and is back to grassroots, then he's he's obviously proven himself to be a lot better than when he's, you know, here's here's a dump, dump truck full of money, 
go make the abysmal dumpster fire known as After Earth with with Will Smith, who used to be box office gold, by the way, and his son. So he's a crazy person. Yeah. Yeah, no argument. I mean, I don't remember. Where did that article come from? Do you remember? Uh, it comes from Slash Film. Okay, so if you're listening to this and you I'm haven't sorry. seen the piece. It comes from, yeah, it comes from SlashFilm.com. So if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the piece Derek's talking about, it's on SlashFilm.com. In several episodes back, I can't remember off the top of my head which one, Derek proposed the theory that Shyamalan is at his best when he has a limited budget. This article seems to prove that thesis. Interestingly, he said that he went back to uh, to making movies and insisted on never working with someone he'd worked with previously. So every time he comes to a project, he's got a whole new cast of creative help. Pretty surprising to to see that level of commitment from a guy who, apart from just his own pride, really doesn't have a lot of incentive to give himself uh, creative challenges. I think um, here comes that moment of praise that I'm sure that you've been waiting on. For many, many episode about M. Night. Um, but I think first and foremost, man, he loves making movies. I think that he's, a, I think he loves movies in general. And I think that he realizes that, like, The Last Airbender and After Earth and Lady in the Water. Lady in the Water. And what? No! The happening. That they were all horrible. And I think that he has it not only to prove to people like myself who Loved him in the beginning and now loathe him. Um, but he has, I think he has something to prove to himself too. And so I don't blame him. If, if this is what it takes to get his creative juices flowing again and, and get him into a, into a place where we all are like, where everybody is like, he's back, then I'd do whatever it takes. And I think, I think he's on his way to getting any sense of what it would take for you personally to say, Oh yeah, Shyamalan's back. This next movie's got to be really good. Better than Split. Yeah. That's a pretty high mark. I mean, Split has done very well critically and at the box office. Well, I don't give a crap about critical or at the box office. <laughs> so what would make what would make it for a really good M. Night Shyamalan movie? Well, I just, I mean, it's got to be, it, it, he's got to cut out all this ridiculous three and a half hours of dialogue for that one, that one or two really good parts of the movie. Like that was, I was, I remember I told you I was bored through the majority of Split because I was just like, this is too much. It's too much dialogue. It's, there's n- nothing happening. So you want kind of fast, tight, let's get through this thing. Yeah, I want a good story. I don't need, I don't need to sit here and watch James McAvoy pop and lock Kanye West. What, what point did that serve? Do you, um, do you consider yourself a fan of character development? Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you, do you see any contradiction between what you're saying now and the idea that like character development's important? Not at all. Because, I mean, where, where's the character development then? Well, that he popped and locked Kanye. Well, I think you got a you got a fuller sense of his psychosis. Well, maybe that's maybe that's the wrong part to to dissect on that. But just there, but there were several. That was the first thing that just came to my mind. But there are several parts of that movie where you could have cut it, and it would have made sense, and it would have gotten the movie along quicker. I don't. I'm not gonna say you're wrong. I didn't feel it as powerful as you did. So right. I, I'm kind of trying to probe your thinking. Do you feel like you would have gotten to know the um, final girl? If he didn't spend so much time with her in locked rooms and talking to the other girls and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm not saying you're wrong. Uh, I think through those flashbacks, you get to know her. I think yeah. you get to know her really well. And But if you're not going to have those flashbacks, then you need to keep all that stuff in. One or the other needs to go. But there was just too, mu- there was just too much where nothing was happening. Where the story wasn't progressing at all. Would you cut the scenes with the uh, psychiatrist? Because we spend a lot of time talking about you know his fashion designs. Yeah. 
No, I think those are pretty important because you can tell because you can tell that she can tell. You still with me? Um, that something's not right, and you need some, and you need build that. up. To that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like I said, I'm not saying you're wrong. Uh, just an interesting take there on the best horror creator of this generation. Oh my gosh! Just keeping keeping the seat warm till Peel sort of puts out a few more on his resume. My goodness! I mean, who would you who would you who's better, Jordan Peel? Straight well, out of the game. He just got one though. Like there's there's yeah, but that one is better than anything M Night Shyamalan put on. Yeah, but there's a potential that even a Jordan Peele takes a turn like Shyamalan. Well, every everyone has no one bats it down. Yeah, so I'm just saying. Yeah, Jordan Peele appears to be the the next great thing. I'm I like saying, Rob Zombie movies more than I like a lot of M Night Shyamalan movies. Uh, I'm trying to think, Derrickson would be up there for me as a horror creator. Derrickson's really good. Um, who did the con? I mean, not the Conjuring. Who did um Sinister? Derrickson. Derrickson did Sinister too. Oh. All right, so it's Derrickson. So we're gonna we're gonna vote for Derrickson until Jordan Peele puts out a few more. Yeah, to, to back up what you said, for me, probably the harshest critic of M Night Shyamalan ever. I just need this next movie to be consistent. I need it to be good, and I, I need I don't need crazy crap like that was in the happening or the village or Lady in the Water or any of that stuff. Um, if he has a, if he has a good story, remember because I told you I watched Split again and I enjoyed it a lot more the second time. Um, if it's a if it's a good story, if the pacing is well and the, and there's and there's not there's not a crazy ending just for the sake of crazy endings, then I'll be for it. And you're good with sort of living in the universe of Unbreakable. Yeah, no, I think so. I think that uh, I think that's that's a cool. I don't, I've only seen Unbreakable once, um, so I'll need to go back and revisit it. But I like Bruce Willis. I like Samuel L. Jackson, and I'm I'm excited to see where Knight takes this as a superhero genre because that's where it's going. So I'll be interested to hear what you have to say about Unbreakable when we watch it again. Uh, the misses and I watched it after we saw Split together, yeah. and your point about like pacing and uh, plot development, and whatnot, nothing came through on that rewatch to me as much as Unbreakable being a slow burner. Yeah, it takes plenty of time to develop to move Bruce Willis from a man who thinks the ideas uh, that he's a superhero is crazy to one who's ready to to sort of experiment with it and then act on it. I liked it. I thought it was fine. But if you're someone who comes to Shyamalan sort of wary of his pacing, I'm betting Unbreakable's going to challenge you. Yeah, well, it did the first time. That's why I never watched it again. Because mm. I was like, really? All this for you to tell me, uh, hit it, Wahlberg. What? No! Spoiler alert. All this for you to tell me that Samuel L. Jackson's the guy that's been killing all these people? F this, I'm out. And I think, honestly, man, if, I, if I'm being really, really serious with you, I think that Unbreakable was the first part where I was like, I don't think I like this dude as much as I thought I did. Mm. And then Signs was really good. And then from there, it was just kind of like, nah, I'm alright. Yeah. And also, if to tell you that Knight's back would be, give me something that I don't call. Oh, yeah. Well, that's going to be tough for you, Dave. You, you see that stuff coming remarkably well. So we'll see. Alright. I, I, and, and I'm completely cool with being the only person that goes, nah, he still sucks. Everyone else in the world's like, Knight's the greatest director of all time. And I'm still going to be like, nah, not really. I don't know that we'll get back to that level with him, but I'm I'm optimistic. Looking forward to what comes out next. Yeah. All right, Jake. So you want to talk about Black Christmas? Yeah, man. We can do a little Black Christmas. We want to do very little Black Christmas. I want to do as little Black Christmas as possible. <laughs> Come on, man. You got to grant this thing some context. Context makes it better. Okay, Jeff. Right. Give me context. 1974. 
Okay. There's not a lot going on with the horror genre that has been similar to this. I think you said there was something in the 60s called Peeping Tom. Peeping Tom, yeah, like 1960. Okay, so 1960, that's 14 years prior to this. This movie is doing some stuff that is innovative for its time. So it gives us the first-person perspective of the killer as he's stalking around the sorority house uh, after these young ladies. I think the uh, the the prank call stuff he's doing, if you and I were watching this as younger people in the 70s, we would have heard those prank calls and thought they were pretty creepy. The scene where uh, the killer's up in the attic and he kind of loses his stuff for a while and starts breaking stuff, that's pretty freaky. No? Nothing? Man, I mean, probably in the 70s it was a really terrifying movie, but, dude, it just it wasn't for me. I, I didn't think that it was that good. Um, I, I, it, it just kind of boggles my mind that, like, you hear so many things about, like, well, this, we use Black Christmas to set up this movie. We use Black Christmas as, as help on this movie and, and this and this and this. Like, I just, I guess I just expected more. Like, I, I, I just expected something a lot better than this. I mean, Halloween's four years later and it's a million times better than this movie. Yeah, but do you think Halloween exists and knows how to be better if it's not for Black Christmas? I mean, it, it seems like Bob Clark put a lot of what we love about Halloween into play from uh, from this very film itself. I mean, you're, you're probably right, but I just, it wasn't for me. All right. Well, are you prepared to go on record then and say that Elvis Presley and Steve Martin are wrong? Yeah. yeah. Are you prepared to go on record and say that the mind that gave us not only Black Christmas and A Christmas Story failed in his venture into horror? Again, yes. You stand alone. You you walk alone. You're the lone wolf. You're the real lone wolf, Roman. I'm Dave Batista, sir. I walk alone. <laughs> I walk for miles inside this bit of danger. No, look, man. I'm sh- Again, context. 1973-1974. I'm sure this movie was terrifying. Yes, this is Elvis Presley's favorite horror movie, and that's a fantastic fact. And again, I'm sure that back then... There wasn't much to choose from, so you had that. But dude, we just watched Silence of the Lambs last week. We watched, uh, we watched, uh, Leslie Vernon a couple weeks ago. We've seen Halloween. We've seen Get Out. We've seen, uh, what else? The Witch. Like, I would put all of those movies above and beyond what we saw tonight. Now, if we were watching this 20 years ago, I might be different. But it just, to me, it just doesn't hold up. And that's, that's part of it. I mean, there's there's got to be movies that you've watched as a child that you thought were the greatest movies of all time, but now that you watch them as a 30-something-year-old man, you're like, okay, that doesn't hold up. Yeah, that's true. I, I'm trying to think of a, of a fit analogy here. You're absolutely right that this movie shows its age. You're absolutely right that this movie doesn't measure up to, you know, that list of movies you just gave us. Whatever the least among them is, this movie is nothing by comparison. But it's the grandparent to to those sure right it's the it's the more primitive version and so i guess i can look at the grandfather or the great great grandfather and say i i appreciate what you brought into the family line i guess the analogy i would turn to is i think i think the newest model of mustangs uh the car are very tough they look very good that does not make me look at a 67 model mustang and say ah you're joke right i can appreciate it for what it is uh, in context, I can appreciate the unique features it brings, more primitive though they may be. And I don't feel like I have to choose between the 60s version and the 2017 version. I, mean, I can appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad that they made the movie because clearly it is the, is the blueprint to other movies that we enjoy. 
But if you were like, hey, man, let's watch Black Christmas again, it would be like, no, I'd rather you stomp on my foot. Because it just wasn't, I'm a one and done on that, man. Like, yeah. that's, that's great, but I never want to watch that movie again. Well, I'm with you. I, your definition of appreciation stretches pretty far to include I'd rather have my foot stomped on. But nonetheless, I'm with you in saying I'm probably not going back to watch that one. I don't, but I don't understand that. Like, I don't understand why, why my appreciation has to stretch when I'm saying that. Like, I can appreciate it for what it is, but I can also look at it as a movie now and say, okay, well, it was, I'm glad that I watched it for historical context, but I, I wasn't, wasn't entertained by it. I was entertained more by the banter that you and I had going back and forth. But again, mm-hmm. if I, if you look at it, if you put yourself back into that seventies, you know, type of decade, I'm sure that was the scariest movie ever. Sure. Well, let me ask you another question. Sure. I this earlier. Do you, um, I'm going to throw some other older movies at you. Um, Raging Bull. I know okay. you're, you're, you're a fan of that, right? Yeah. Uh, have you ever watched the original God in 60 seconds? Yes. Thoughts? It's okay, but it, it's the same thing. It's one and done to me. All right, uh, Steve McQueen's Bullet. I could watch that all day long. Yeah, me too. Uh, the original French Connection. I know there's a lot of car movies, but I've watched mostly old car movies. I, I've seen it. I've yeah. seen it. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot better than this. Than this, yeah. Okay, so it's not like, you're not just biased against old movies. No, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. I mean, The Godfather, two of my favorite movies of all time. Gosh, what else? Psycho. I love Psycho. Mm-hmm. The 1960s uh, version of that. So, no, I, I'm not against old movies. It's just this, I mean... It, it is what it is. It's a 1970 horror movie that relies too much on on profanity and and leaves leaves you an ambiguous ending, which is great. But it, there's no there's no conclusion. There's no payoff. And so I I much I don't I don't know, man. I'd, I'd much rather spend my time doing something more constructive than listening to. <laughs> If there was a payoff, if there was something that, that made it worthwhile, if there was something in it that I was like, oh, dang, yeah, that was really cool. I'm sure that that's what helped bring X, Y, and Z into the, into the spectrum. Then it would have been worth it. But to me, watching it in 2017, it's just, it's not, it wasn't there. Yeah. Okay. Here, here's my counter. Sure. I, I, I don't think I want to argue for the merits of this movie, but I, I also don't want to kind of throw it away as, avoid this movie or don't watch this movie. There's a remake that came out in 2004, 2006. 2006, I think. Something like that. Tobe Hooper did it. Uh, apparently, he deviated from the plot pretty um, heavily. Here's what I'll say. I can get why he thought this movie is ready for being remade and why the elements in the film would translate well into a different era. A killer who kind of comes out of nowhere, drops in on an unsuspecting group of people, the film ends not with him either dead or in, you know, police custody, but rather continuing to lurk in the attic waiting for, you know, the next set of victims to show up. That sounds like something I've seen before. That sounds like what comes out in the movie theater every four or five months, right? Yeah. In some ways, you're going you're gonna to hate me for saying this, and probably our listeners will too. I get it. But in some ways, this isn't unlike The Witch. There's this unseen force that's kind of out there on the peripheral. It preys on the characters we're supposed to care about in this movie. And then by the time we leave, it's still active and still, you know, a threat. Okay, let me ask you this, though. Did you care about any of those girls? That's a really good question. No, I didn't. Exactly. Now, having read pieces commenting on this film, 
there are people who feel very strongly this is superior to the American slasher okay. uh, family movies because it isn't so preachy in its morality, right? So the girl who wants to abort her baby is the girl who survives at least until the movie goes away. You know, it's Jamie Lee Curtis. They, they did a lot of this in Behind the Mask. It's the virginal girl who remains chaste that tends to survive in these movies. A lot of people prefer this one because it doesn't really have much of a, a moral code like that. Okay. Um, you think there's any merit to that? I don't, personally. Yeah, it doesn't really appeal to me either. It does make me go, well, this is unique. Yeah. You know, it stands out differently. Yeah, but even even to me, like the, the quote-unquote surviving girl, the chaste virginal, like that doesn't, I couldn't care less about that either. No, it, it's just sort of the trope that got right. ran with. Right. Uh, do you think you would like this movie better if you hadn't seen Friday the 13th? Nightmare on M Street, Halloween? No, I, I really don't because uh, to me, like, you need someone to be invested in. You need a character that you can care about. And none of the, I mean, from the get go, these girls are just, there's none of them. Even, even Jess, who, who you're, who you're supposed to cheer for, you're supposed to root for. Why? Cause she's just a victim? I guess so. And, and that's a really strong point you're making there. In fact, there's nobody likable in this entire cast except for, I guess, the detective. Yeah. Who went on to play the the dad and detective in Nightmare on Elm Street. He's really the only character who has sort of noble characteristics, who, who shows any kind of competency. So, yeah, that's a good point. There's nobody really to care about in this movie. That does drag it down. So, if, if Derek Zoo is at the helm of some major motion picture studio in 1974, this movie doesn't launch the slasher genre, right? It just is a one and done, and you... I mean, in my opinion. Yeah. I don't know that you're wrong. I don't know that you're wrong. I'm glad I watched it. I just don't know that I'll... Like you said, I don't know that I'm ever going back to this movie. Yeah. I'll go back to Halloween. Definitely. You know, multiple times a yeah. year. I mean, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like, thank goodness that this movie came along when it did, and it gives us better movies. Like, that's, you know, that's the whole point anyway. But is it is it a movie that I would recommend to our listeners? If if you want that that grandfather experience like you talked about, then yeah, go watch it. But if you're looking for something cool on a on a Wednesday night when you don't have anything else going on, watch watch something else because it's just it's just not worth it. Unless you're a horror historian or just a huge horror fan like we are. Otherwise, so you referenced or I did one. I don't remember which one, but Elvis Presley's family continues to watch this movie every year at Christmas because Elvis himself was such a huge fan and. The actress who plays Jess, um, when she went to uh, work in Roxanne with Steve Martin, Martin told her that she was in his favorite movie, yeah. Black Christmas. Yeah. What's your sense of what hooks these people this strongly? They it was like something they never seen before. So I mean, again, I hate to sound redundant, but I can understand in that context of nineteen seventies, nineteen seventy four, that probably was the scariest movie that you've ever seen. It just doesn't hold up to me. It just doesn't hold up. By the time we get to 2017. Yeah, when you get down to 2017. Yeah. All right. No, no, no further argument from me. Uh, one interesting piece in light of our most recent movie episode dealing with, um, Science of the Lambs, who you pointed out one of the, uh, contributing real life examples to the character of, is it Buffalo Bill? Buffalo Bill. Uh, was Ted Bundy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you noticed this on the Wikipedia page, but, when this movie, Black Christmas, was going to be shown for the first time to American audiences on broadcast television, the president of NBC asked that it not be shown because there had been very recently a 
murder in a sorority house in Tallahassee at Florida State University. And at the time, they didn't know, but it turned out to be one of Ted Bundy's numerous uh, sorority house really? killings. Yeah, wow. So Ted Bundy stopped this from being shown in 1978 in the United States. Huh. That is, uh, that's really interesting. Yeah. I had read that, um, when they were showing it during, when NBC was showing it during prime time, uh, under the title Stranger in the House, it was deemed too scary for network television to pull it off the air. Too scary for network television. For network television. Yeah. Well, Derek, I think we've probably went around this one. No need for spoiler alerts or anything. Um, I'm going to ask you. Spoiler alert. Superman comes and saves the day. You know, you any, touched on that. Any Margot Kidder fan of ours. How one note is Margot Kidder in this movie? Yeah, man. man. 26 years old, but I would have expected more. Well, uh, uh, I was reading on IMDb where Kidder apparently didn't realize that this, she didn't think it was going to be a success, which it was a success. It was made for like $600,000 and it made $4 million at the box office. Wow. So, I mean, kudos to him, man. Like, good on him for doing it. Um, and I guess, you know, it's become like a cult classic. Um, clearly, you know, yeah. a lot of people take influence from it, but, um, but yeah, she, she was, I expected more from her and just right out the gate, you're like, Oh, I can't wait for Margot Kidder to die. <laughs> that, yeah, there's no, again, you kind of root for everybody to die that comes on screen, but I can remember, was it Winter's Bone that made Jennifer, um, Lawrence such a star? Yes, sir. I remember watching that and going, Oh yeah, there's, there's a bright future ahead for her. I wouldn't have probably predicted what she became. Right. But I got why everybody was saying, oh, pay attention to this kid. Well, Margot Kidder, there's none of that, man. Uh-uh. None of that. She is ultimately forgettable. Yeah. So, Derek, do we see anything scary? Not in my opinion, man. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I want to say if you turn the lights off on a, on a stormy night and you listen carefully to the prank calls and see the boogeyman jumping out of the closet, or there's one scene where his, eyes just looking out through a door slit, you may get a kind of creepy thrill off of that. But this isn't a movie that's going to really do much for anybody who's watched a couple modern horror movies. It just doesn't have punch anymore. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't label I wouldn't label it a dumpster fire. Um, I no, that'd be unfair. Yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't put it uh, anywhere near Silence of the Lambs or Get Out. Uh, but I would, I'd say that it's probably even kill. And again, if you're a horror historian and you want to see the movie that caused Halloween or gave Halloween its its uh, platform and, and uh, you know behind the mask said that they were heavily influenced by it as well and things like that, then go out of your way to watch it. If you're just a casual horror fan um, who listens to this podcast for the occasional wrestling, um, I I tell you to probably skip it and go watch something else. Yeah, you can probably find something more thrilling on Netflix. Yeah, just pick a random horror title. Yeah, all right, I'm. I've tried to figure out a way to kind of give this one some love, but not scary uh, unless you just create the perfect situation. So uh, it is worth watching. I, I will contend it's worth watching as a historical piece. It's a great one and done. One and done. All right. If uh, if you're a huge Elvis fan, watch it because the King loved it. And if you like Steve Martin, apparently Steve Martin watched it like 27, 28 times, which my Lord, I don't know. That. I don't know how that works, but all right. Uh, so, yeah. Go ahead and connect with them through this movie. Um, Derek, where can they find you on social media? Uh, everything's at Derek Zoo. Uh, one let our Sparta people know there's still limited tickets available for, uh, my homecoming shows at the Foglight Food House on Monday, May 15th. Uh, you can visit, uh, my, uh, Facebook page, Derek Zoo Comedy, for more information on that. We got two shows, one at 7, one at 9.15. 
We'd love to have you come out. Uh, also, if we have any uh, listeners in Memphis, Tennessee, I will be there uh, next Tuesday or this upcoming Tuesday, uh, May the 9th, at the High Cotton Brewing Company. Uh, show starts at 7.30. Get more information by calling 901-543-4444. Give us a number one more time in case you didn't catch it. Phone so number, once again, is area code 901-543-4444. All right. Yeah, get up there and check out Derek. Uh, you can find me, right, Jeff, on social media platforms. And uh, let's see, where's that subreddit at, my man? Forward slash r forward slash saw something scary. Uh, Facebook and Twitter at Scary Podcast. Special thanks to Ryan M. Brewer for our theme music. You can find him on Twitter at Ryan M. Brewer. Go to his Spotify or Pandora. Put a couple shekels in his pocket. Special thanks to the one and the only Fours Nutrition. Make sure and visit com. For all of your nutrition and apparel needs, uh, those guys are doing some great work over there. Uh, Jeffrey, what are we watching next week, man? I don't know, Derek. You got anything in mind? All right. Well, listeners, stay posted. We'll uh, we'll put it up on social media and subreddit, and whatnot. What we're watching next week? You got something to suggest to us? Hit us up. Twitter, Facebook, Reddit. We'll check them all. Yeah. Instagram, text messages, WhatsApp. We don't care. Just uh, yell at us, and we will definitely check it out. Until then, bye bye, man.